Welcome to the Critical Transit Podcast, episode 42, the winter episode. Today we're going to be talking about uh, winter biking, and I have a great panel of winter biking experts from here in Minneapolis, uh, and I'm really looking forward to that, so uh, I'm not going to uh, have any any stuff uh, delaying that. Um, it is the week of Christmas here in uh, 2013, and uh, I am I'm figuring that uh, you're going to need something to do over the Christmas break, um, because you probably spent all your time uh, buying shit, and now uh, apparently it wasn't the right shit, and you see your family, and you're getting stressed out, and hopefully there's good stuff along there the way, but uh, maybe on the way you're going to need something to listen to, or later in your downtime. Um, so this is a, is a perfect conversation, and uh, you know a lot of really interesting, useful stuff, um, and uh, great people to talk to. And so... I'm going to put a number of links up at criticaltransit.com, and uh, you can also find me on Twitter and Facebook, as always, and uh, go there. And uh, I redesigned the website a little bit, but there's still more coming, so um, yeah, stay tuned. Just a couple quick show notes. Uh, We talked a lot in the show about uh, temperature here. Um, We are talking in, uh, in Fahrenheit temperatures, as we do here in the U.S., and um so you know we're uh 32 degrees being the freezing point uh zero degrees celsius and uh getting you know when we talk about uh getting down to zero we talk about i mean that's probably like negative 10 to 12 celsius um it's uh 10 degrees is kind of 10 degrees fahrenheit is kind of the point where you're uh you're your eyelashes start to freeze <laughs> that's it's pretty cold and uh in most cities in the u.s it doesn't really uh get that cold um maybe on rare rare instances it, it might drop uh but uh yeah here it, uh, it goes into single digits sometimes since we get, get uh, lows in the, the uh, negative degrees fahrenheit so also i have gotten myself a pair of uh wonderful waterproof muck boots and they are uh, they are amazing and i highly recommend them so uh, no more uh, wet feet keep on riding is champion keep on riding and uh, that's what we're gonna do here in uh, in the winter Oh, welcome back to the Critical Transit Podcast. This is our winter episode. We have three lovely people here. Um, I have Lo here, who uh, is the most popular guest out of all uh, Critical Transit Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, and would you like to introduce yourself to the world again? My name is Lo, and I live in Minneapolis, and I ride my bike almost every day, and I work in St. Paul. And right now, I am battling the St. Paul streets five days a week. Uh, my name is Kat, and uh, while I have a 
pretty easy, short commute. Uh, I do like to ride my bike for fun in the winter. Uh, so that's the perspective that I'll try to bring today. My name's Carl. I'm a bike mechanic. Um, I have the shortest commute of my life these days. It's about two miles each direction, and half of it is on the Midtown Greenway in Minneapolis. Um, so I'm far less in shape than I was when I used to commute about 10 miles out to Egan and back. But I fix a lot of bikes and ride in the winter and help people get their bikes set up for that. Cool. So, yeah, thanks for doing this. And uh, I, uh, I thought we could, we could talk about the uh, sort of the three elements of uh, winter biking. I think there's, uh, there's um, the clothing, the equipment, and the behavior. So I thought we could sort of go through. Um, it's been pretty cold here recently. Um, it's like typical January weather, I guess, in the middle of, of December. And uh, I, for one, uh, am not used to my eyelashes freezing shut. <laughs> That's um, one of the joys of winter. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> so, yeah, I've, I've learned that. Um, I was just telling Kat before how I have serious issues, apparently, with uh, with my goggles slash sunglasses. Um, and it's either, like, they fog up or they uh, are not on. And I get frozen eyelashes, so... Do you have ski goggles? I do, but they don't work. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So would you just, like to borrow a pair of mine? I would. All right. All right. This problem might be solved. I will report back. <laughs> um, Jeremy, do you cover your nose with a balaclava or a scarf yes. while you're wearing your goggles? Yes. I found that when I do that, my, my, my goggles don't fog up. My glasses underneath them do pretty much every single time. So you wear uh, a double my, layer. My, well, I'm, I'm blind without these, so these I'm stuck okay. with. I've never done contacts. So I'm always wearing glasses underneath ski goggles when it's this nasty out. Um, and if I, unless I leave my nose open, so like as I exhale, it can disperse it. It kind of pumps the warm, moist air right inside the goggles. Mm-hmm. So I've I've taken to actually um, taping or sewing a piece of insulated fabric that hangs right off of my goggles down and, and just loosely covers my nose. I, I call it the Zoidberg, <laughs> <laughs> and that that helps a lot. It just keeps my nose from getting all wind chapped and unhappy with me. But it keeps the goggles from fogging up most of the time. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna have to uh, to see a picture of this. It's kind of ugly, <laughs> <laughs> but I love the resourcefulness though, because you hear a lot in the winter about um, oh, you know, you have to buy this technical gear and you have to you know get uh, you know put all these things, these studded tires on your bike and all these things. And, and I see the value in all these things. I'm a, I'm a studded tire convert as of uh, last week, but uh, you know, it's there's a lot of focus on money, money, money. Mm-hmm. So. At some point, you just have to improvise a little bit. Yeah. There's, there's nobody makes a perfect tailored solution that's going to work for everybody that's designed for winter bicycling. So you have to cobble together bits and pieces from snowboarding and skiing and bicycling and everything all into one solution that works for you. Thrifting is a, a good way to go about it if you can't, if you don't want to buy new things like taking old sweaters and cutting them up to make leg warmers or to make scarves or skirts or anything um it's a good way to kind of get around the buying new gear every season cool so what do you guys wear how do you stay warm what's your name a temperature and a wound speed (laughs) (laughs) okay uh well i mean one thing i've learned is that um when i i biked in boston and even chicago like i never i never thought you needed studded tires and i never had to worry about my eyelashes freezing because it just doesn't... It, I guess it doesn't get quite as cold. Um, How cold does so that's it get? New. Um, it sometimes gets down to zero, but that's pretty rare. Okay. It's more like in the teens. 
And now for the last week to two weeks, pretty consistently, we've been in Minnesota hovering around 5 to 10 degrees high for the day. Typically, I'm frequently like 0 or 10 below at times. And it's been pretty miserable. (sighs) So, Lowell, how about (laughs) 0 degrees and a 10-mile-an-hour headwind? Zero degrees and a 10 mile an hour headwind because there's a wind that's gonna chap your skin. So I try to cover all of my skin, and that includes like putting some shea butter or some kind of moisturizer on anything that's exposed because the wind burn happens when moisture is taken out of your skin. And when moisture is taken out of your skin, you can actually like sunburn really easily. So there's a lot of factors that can chap your hide. Um, 10 degrees, I have almost a 10 mile commute, so I try to dress in pretty light layers, because I know I have a while to go, so I'm going to work up a lot of body heat, and I have a big hill that I climb right in the beginning of my commute, so I try to leave my house a little bit chilly, so I would wear, um, some wool tights, some thin wool tights, and some rain pants to block the wind, I have, like, leather work boots, and I like to wear gaiters, um, because the heat doesn't escape my boots. And up top, I probably wear a wool base layer and, like, a really badass insulated, uh, windproof jacket. And I cover my face with a scarf, and I wear a wool cap with ear flaps, and my regular summer helmet. Cool. So no, uh, no need for a special <laughs> helmet, then. There you go. Um, if I wear the, kind of like the burn style, the like snowboarding or like all sport helmet, I just, I cook like an egg. Like, I just get way <laughs> too hot. I need lots of vents, and when I stop riding, when it's very cold, you can see there's like frost on the back of my head from where my head is like sweating and it's freezing on my hat. <laughs> What do you do, like, when you, I mean, 10 miles is a long trip, so, like, in terms of getting to work, I know the rest of us have pretty short commutes, um, but I mean, like, I don't know, do you have a routine, like, I guess you probably... For think, when I land? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, change my clothes immediately, um, and then hang everything in my little cubicle to dry, and if I, I have a little fan that I put on my boots to dry those out, because at the end of the day... If I start my ride with anything wet, I'm going to be really miserable and it's kind of dangerous. I've been having this recently with the, the wet boots. And uh, when you get wet boots, that's just bad news. Mm-hmm. Right do you do the newspaper trick? I need to start doing this, I guess. What is this newspaper trick? Um, newspaper is really good at absorbing moisture and odor, so you can just cr- crumple it up into a ball and shove it into your boots and wait an hour and then take them out and put more newspaper in there and then when you start pulling dry ones out you're done this is a, it's a good trick i like this i'm gonna do this mm-hmm. you see i'm learning something i use junk mail. Exciting. <laughs> junk mail i, I get a lot of that so i use the junk yeah. mail cool um so yeah what, what else about uh clothing do we want to say more about clothing i can do the same exercise um, right. for, for my perspective <clears throat> low seems to be really good at, at generating body heat and needs to lose a lot more of it than i do um, I have a terribly hard time trying to keep my hands and my feet warm. <clears throat> my head does okay, but um, I wear giant mittens when it's around zero degrees. I've got really thick, heavy-duty boots, uh, wool socks, uh, just as much as I can do to try to keep from cooling down my blood as it goes out towards my extremities and comes back again. 
So like a, my typical zero degree, ten mile or two mile commute, zero degree two mile commute with a headwind ten miles an hour. I'd probably um, because it's so short, I can get away with almost anything I want to do. Um, but I'd probably wear wool socks, blue jeans with some thick long underwear under them, some synthetic stuff probably, um, just a normal cotton t-shirt, uh, merino wool sweater, and a just a Carhartt work jacket over that. Then on my head, I've got a, a thin craft balaclava that I like really well. And I use a snowboarding helmet made by Giro that I bought probably six, eight years ago. So it's about due to be, more than due to be replaced. But that covers my ears with insulated ear flaps. and has vents that you can open and close and a, a strap to hold my ski goggles in place better. And I've got uh, ski goggles for when it's this cold to keep my eyes happy in their little microclimate. That's exactly what it looks like, because when I see you out biking, Lois is shaking your head and laughing here. Cause, uh, no, I'm not <laughs> laughing. I'm just like, oh my goodness, if I was wearing all that clothes, like I would just expire. <laughs> and that usually keeps my hands and feet warm. My gloves are full of down. They're made by Gardini. And again, I need to replace those. They're getting pretty worn out. The boots I've been wearing for the past few seasons are Steger Mucklucks made in Ely, so they're super heavy-duty insulated. They're the warmest boots I've ever owned in my life. They work really well. I think because the rubber soles aren't solid rubber, they're like whipped up with air bubbles in them, so they trap heat really well. Cool. Uh, is Alex ready to join us? Alex is here. Hi, Alex. Hi. Should we wait? We can. We can wait. Um, or we can put you on the spot. <laughs> Get settled. <laughs> we, can, uh, we can introduce you later. Um, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I, I guess um, so. Cat and I were talking before, and Cat wrote an awesome post last year. But, or maybe it was the year before, um, from the Grease Rag Winter Skillshare, uh, you were talking about bike handling, mm-hmm. which is very important in the winter. Yeah. Um, um, so I think I've what I've learned over the past couple of years um, about bike handling uh, is to give yourself plenty of time to get to your destination because you're going to be going a lot slower than you will in the summer, no matter what. Um, And I just try to stay really uh, upright, in an upright riding position. Um, So I have my winter bike set up with kind of swept back bars so that I can be sitting upright and I'm not leaned over at all. Um, That keeps the weight off of the front wheel um, and allows the front wheel to kind of float over um, bumps and stuff. I've also found that keeping an eye on your air pressure in your tires will really impact how the tires grab the whatever surface you're riding on. Um, so I usually run them, you know, a little bit lower, like 40 or even lower PSI than that, um, so that your tire will kind of conform to the shape of the road underneath you. Um, but the main thing that I've learned is just to stay really loose on the handlebars, um, you know, go light on the brakes because if you're on ice, you know, that's going to make you slip. So I just try to go really slow and keep an eye out. And I've learned, like, I always use the back brake. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> I've learned this the hard way. I assume this is uh, common knowledge. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, so Alex is here. Yep. Would you like to introduce yourself to the internet? Uh, I'm Alex. Uh, I've been winter biking for years um and uh in in minneapolis where it's you know really winter yes go winter this is my first winter in minneapolis uh, oh i don't know if you know this i did not know that 
Cool. Um, so I'm surviving so far. Um, I managed to injure my back this last week, so I haven't been biking much. And I finally got back on the bike today, and I rode about a half a mile each way, and, uh, and it was okay. So I'm happy to be back on the bike, which is mm-hmm. good. Um, but I, I did take a spill. This was about a week and a half ago. I did take a spill on Fourth uh, Avenue, coming through like the 40s, and uh, yeah, I just it was an ice patch, and I was doing okay on ice patches like all day, and then at one point I just I don't know just went sideways. And mm-hmm. I went down. It was like conveniently it happened right in front of a bus stop too, and there was like no traffic on the street, and so I, literally it was like I got up and like I looked over and I see there's a bus stop in the bus shelter, and I was like. Maybe I should take the bus. <laughs> <laughs> no shame in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one of my big things for the winter is that uh, is uh, taking the bus. It's uh, you know, don't be afraid to take the bus when mm-hmm. you know. Don't feel like you have to be a martyr and you have to bike on the worst days. Buses are really great tool in the winter for being able to actually give it a shot too, because in route you can decide this is this is too much, mm-hmm. and decide to sort of hit the eject button on your commute and take the bus. And yeah. all of our buses have two spaces for two bikes on their racks. Except for about 1% of the buses which have a special rack that does not fit my bike. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, my bike's a little long, apparently. It doesn't look like it over there, but uh, hmm. it's a little long. So, anyway. Um, so, yeah. we I guess we were talking about bike handling. I mean, we can talk about whatever we want. It's a fucking podcast. You, you may think of want. falling. I mean, I think you have to be ready to fall. And, I mean, thinking about... It, it's a hard thing to describe, thinking about falling or being ready to fall, but uh, you're probably going to fall, and being kind of ready for that with your body is, is a great thing. I feel like I'm sort of ready to disengage from the bike when I feel like, oh, this is not... This, this pavement looks like it's not pavement anymore. This looks like ice. You start sort of, uh, like I was saying, loosen up, and mm-hmm. you're sort of ready to disengage. So I say, oh, in. shit, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> the cursing under the breath is key. That's important. Um, so how do, you, how do you execute a fall maneuver? You don't put your arms straight out to catch you, because that's a really good way to break your collarbone by landing on your palm with your arms straight out. So we try the tuck and roll, landing on your, you know, the, your uh, upper arm or your shoulder or your back or butt. It's going to be a lot better for you. But, yeah, sometimes things happen too quickly. <laughs> but what's nice about falling in the winter is you got all these layers. you got your mm-hmm. thick Carhartt jacket on. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get road rash from that. And you're falling on a near frictionless surface, and you're just going <laughs> to... Slide. You're not going to get a bunch of road rash. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Unless there's a car in front of you, in which case, there's always that danger. Yeah. yeah, I haven't actually been been uh, hit by a car in the winter, but I think that's like that's probably my biggest fear out there. Is just that you know, it's like I know myself, but the biggest fear is always it's always the other. That should out always there. be your biggest fear. Yeah. <laughs> Has anybody had uh, experiences with uh, sliding into cars or anything like that? I've fallen in traffic, and that's really scary. That's something that I think about. I didn't really... I mean, I thought about it before this accident, but didn't give it much after a second. But falling in a place where it's not... where there's lots of other traffic is definitely something to consider if you're biking. If if you're getting pushed onto busy streets and you feel like you're going to slip, get off of them because falling 
Okay, I don't want to, like, shame or blame because you can fall at any time, anywhere, but I would like to ask if if you were taking a lane position where cars were not close to you on your sides, I guess they could be right on your tail yeah. or whatever. So taking lane, basically. Yeah, okay. if you were taking, like, you know, an assertive lane position, that wouldn't have been would it have been the same situation? Um, it probably wouldn't have been as bad if I'd been pushing it. So that would be, I was sort of kind of definitely pushing it like, oh, I think it's fine over here. And then it wasn't. And then I went down. So mm-hmm. taking the lane is probably a really good, I mean, making sure you get as far out as you need to be to be safe and in control is probably a really good point. No shame. Just yeah. Want to no. make a good example. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you're, I mean, if there's a car behind you and they see you fall and slam on their brakes, they're going to slide to you if they're on ice. Like... I don't know. There's just so much you can do. Well, so this is like one of the things I, I've enjoyed about being in Minneapolis is that um, you know you don't I don't find myself biking on these these busy really busy streets mm-hmm. that especially come from places like New York, Chicago, and, but um, you know now that it's that, that the side streets are you know full of snow and ice, and it's, it's often safer to just ride on the, on the busy streets, especially yeah. the bus routes, you know where where the tire <laughs> tracks and all that. And um, and I, one of the problems I've had is you know often cars will follow too close or they'll pass too closely, and I can. I can usually deal with them passing too closely unless, like, the track that you need to ride in is, like, in that yeah. danger zone of, you know, not taking the lane enough kind of thing. Um, but then you have cars that follow too close, and I don't know if there's a... If there are ways of dealing with that. Slow down. Caltrops. <laughs> <laughs> if someone's following me too closely, I usually just slow down. That's, like, and winter or not. Right? And then they will go around me, or... When I start pedaling again, if they do not give me enough room, I will slow down again. It's a pretty clear signal. It just also gives you more room to have a problem, I suppose. I don't think of it as something that's, like... I'm not being the aggressive one by slowing down because someone is aggressively tailing me. Right. I agree with you. I'm just, yeah, I'm just saying, like, in terms of if something does happen, then, you know... Hopefully that there's if they're still following closely, but they're going slower. Then hopefully it's still still a little better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, cool. So um, yeah, I, I I think we should probably talk about the bike. And then like I have a bunch of things that I wrote down that are just common questions that if we haven't talked about, maybe we could just deal with those things. Cat uh, um, has something you want to say? Yeah, back to like street conditions and stuff. Uh, you probably saw this, but the Twin City sidewalks blog today had a funny list of names of all the different types of snow that we see on our streets. So you had this one called, like, you know, the the ice shelf. And, you know, it's like this whole street's covered in ice. And then there was, like, the Titanic. Like, this ice <laughs> shelf that will sink you. <laughs> and then, you know, there's the nice ones, like, fresh powder and stuff. And I just, I was like, oh, yeah, I know that kind of snow. I know that kind of snow. Uh, so I just thought that was a funny little list that they posted today. I took a bunch of pictures that I put on my Flickr for different kinds of snow. The mashed potatoes, the mm-hmm. brown sugar, <laughs> yeah. the rut, the washboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, the, the worst one that I've had to deal with is definitely the the ones with the like the car tires, that car tire tracks that have frozen. Mm-hmm. Then you're just like, you think you can ride in the car t- the in the trough. track. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're in the tunnel. <laughs> Meandering trough. Try, try to follow the ride the skinny. 
I want to check out this. I got to check out this website. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe for context for people that are not in the Twin Cities right now, our, with this cold snap we've had, the roads presently, like we said earlier, the, the busy streets, the major arterial stuff have been salted and plowed and driven so much that they're mostly cleared right down to pavement, at least in the in the tire tracks at the very least. So they're pretty smooth sailing as long as you're willing to share them with the fairly busy traffic and take the whole lane to yourself. But all the neighborhood roads and side streets and back streets and alleys are really terrible right now. It's been so cold, and any time that it's below about 10 degrees Fahrenheit for any extended amount of time, road salt doesn't really do anything. It doesn't doesn't create that chemical reaction and make the ice melt as easily as it does when it's warmer. So there's salt all over the roads, but it's, nothing's happening. So you end up with this icy bedrock formation that's like two to three inches thick that's stuck to the whole road surface except for where the car tires drive, they tend to break it loose in chunks. You get like a Swiss cheese texture. And now it's been long enough since this form that the Swiss cheese is kind of connected into these meandering ruts that are down to mostly pavement with snow and slush frozen onto it. So you have to try to be careful not to have your bike tire hit the edge of these ruts Mm -hmm. and send you flying. And when it snows like it did this morning, it gets whipped up into this kind of mashed potato-y pace. You can't see where the edges are very Mm -hmm. well. So I just about ate it six times on the way to work because I was riding the wrong bike. <laughs> What's so, the wrong bike? Um, I was riding bald, worn out, uh, 2.3 <laughs> inch slick tires. <laughs> and I had the studded tires tied onto the back of the bike that I was going to install once I got to work. That's awesome. So I made it, but I, I did some, some scary maneuvers on the bike. I appreciate that we can talk about the different road conditions and that we can talk about the challenges of riding in the winter, but I would like to say that. I have a set of studded tires on my bicycle, and I ride a fair amount every day, and I have yet to fall this winter. It might happen. It might not. Maybe I'm jinxing myself, but (laughs) I don't want to present riding in the winter as, like, a white-knuckle, like, scary ride, because the Greenway is beautiful right now Mm -hmm. it's packed down snow with like a fresh layer on top so it's real tacky so it just like grips onto your tires like when you're biking over it kind of makes like a squeaky sound because you can just like hear it like hugging your tread um there's a lot of good things about winter riding too That squeaky sound is my favorite thing. I love the squeaky sound. <laughs> like at, and at night, too, or early in the morning, if you're biking along, it's kind of squeaking along. So this is not really a fully formed thought, but this morning I was kind of thinking, as I was biking along the Greenway, and it was, like, pretty good conditions, but then um, I pulled over to let the trail plow pass, and then it was perfect. I was just thinking, like... The trail is really heavily used. The greenway is really heavily used by bike traffic, light traffic, also pedestrian traffic. And it's, like, so nicely packed down. It's smooth. Like, just thousands of bike tires have, like, groomed it for me. And then, you know, every once in a while when we get, like, a little bit of fresh snow, like, it's nice to have the car, like, come and plow for us, like, using the car like a tool to clear my path. Whereas when I'm on the surface streets, it's like I have to deal with the road destruction caused by heavy vehicles, and it's like I feel like I do not really belong on the roads because they're super chewed up. Yeah, I've read about uh, cities in Northern Europe, like the Netherlands and Denmark and stuff, where they intentionally leave 
a layer of snow on all of their cycle tracks uh, because it creates a really good riding surface. And they don't try to scrape it down to the pavement because that just creates all these ruts and ice shelves that never even out. So they just, like, let the first snow get packed down and then maintain this, like, solid snowpack. And people... People cycle in the winter there at much higher rates than they do here. And it's like, if you create good conditions and make it easy for people to get around your city in the winter, they'll do it. We need a Zamboni. (laughs) Zamboni, that's awesome. I like it. Yeah, because I was complaining about the Greenway last week because I was was on the Greenway and it was just just really rough going. Like, I had a really hard time keeping myself upright on the Greenway. But I guess it's improved. It is in really good shape right now. I'm surprised. And, like, the Greenway, I mean, having the bike paths network, I mean, it's obviously not complete and it doesn't go everywhere, but um, just having the bike paths just makes me feel so much better because I'm not not Mm -hmm. out there sharing the road with these death machines. Can I say death machines? I can, right? Yeah, okay. We're all bike people, right? Okay. (laughs) Everybody kind of was like a silence. (laughs) Did you want us to start chanting? Death machine! Death machine! Death machine! Death machine! Maybe. Um, so yeah, um, let's talk about the bike because we started talking about tires, um, but I think this is something that like really scares people. Because I know it scared me. It's like having how do I have the bike ready? And you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, you need a winter bike." And um, but Carl was, I think you were one of the people who told me that no, I you don't actually need a winter <coughs> bike unless you like want your bike to be a perfect pristine condition, and then yeah. you shouldn't ride it. No. <coughs> But so just, you know, getting the bike ready, like, I don't know, do people want to talk about what, uh, what does that take? Well, my, as far, what you just led up to is my, my philosophy is you don't need to have a specific winter bike. I don't have any that are specifically just for winter. Um, if you're not willing to ride your nice bike and you want to keep it in, in super awesome condition, then you probably shouldn't use it in the winter, but there's nothing to stop you from using mostly the same bikes that you'd ride in the summer and the winter. It's just going to be a little harder on a wear and tear wise. You're going to want to convert a few things, maybe lower your gear ratios, put studded tires on it, add fenders if you don't in the summer. Some summer bikes aren't really capable of doing all that. Like your your beautiful road bike is not going to be a good contender for that. But just about any practical commuter type of bike with more clearance is going to be totally fine. It's just a little rougher on it. Um, <clears throat> the three bikes that I ride in the winter, and I do have some that I kind of pack up and save for once it gets nicer, just to keep the road salt off them because it's a lot of work to clean them up again in the spring. But the three that I've been riding for the last several years are all three Surleys. Uh, it's a Minneapolis uh, house brand of quality bicycle product, which is based out of Bloomington, Minnesota. So it's um, rugged, simple, uh, TIG-welded steel frames that they have contract manufactured in Taiwan. And they're readily available. Everyone loves them in town. They're real popular. Um, they work great. So it's a real known quantity. But I've got a Surly long-haul trucker, which is a touring bike that I ride all summer long. Uh, in the winter, I put big studded tires on it. It's got room for 700 by 40 millimeter studded tires. I run them at about 40 PSI recently. It's been working awesome. That's already got the fenders on it. It has a dynamo light system, so I have lights without having to remember to charge batteries or take things inside or take them off the bike. I don't even turn them off. Um, the second one that I ride all winter long is the one that I rode today, and I put the studded tires on finally. I've been neglecting it. That's a Surly Big Dummy is their long tail cargo bike. That's kind of my my station wagon. It's for going and getting groceries or picking people up or doing anything where I need to just haul a bunch of junk around so I can throw it in the back. But I put big studded tires on that and really don't change anything else to it. Um, the third one is a fat bike. I've got a Surly Moonlander with the giant 5-inch tires. 
Those are not studded, so I have to be a little more careful when it's really icy like this out. But it actually grabs pretty good. Um, they run at about 8 PSI usually, 8 or 10, and it's a lot of fun. That's really good when it's really pockmarked and bumpy and ruddy, like when the snow isn't icy, but it's been walked on and then frozen because it smooths out all the bumps really good. I was laughing at the fat bike because I know the fat bikes are like the thing. and uh, They're really popular right now. Yeah. They're, they're popular, <laughs> but I feel like they have kind of have this like attitude, or people that have fat, ba- fat bikes have an attitude like, oh, you have to have one to ride in the winter. But I don't think that's true. It, yeah, it's it's a fun thing because you can ride, you know, off-road a lot easier in the winter. Um, but if you're just commuting, you definitely don't need one. Um, I chose... I got a new winter bike this year. Um, and I chose um, just an old mountain bike with 26-inch wheels uh, so that I could put wider tires on it. Um, and it has clearance for fenders and stuff. Um, And I like the smaller wheels because it keeps my weight lower. Um, I usually use a pannier on my rear rack and having that a little bit lower just keeps the bike a little bit more stable. Um, And like I said, I've got nice upright handlebars on it. Um, But it's pretty simple. It has like a 1x7 drivetrain on it. So I've got a couple of gear options, but it's still a pretty slimmed down gear system. So just keeping an eye on that and making sure that's you know, cleaned and lubricated uh, regularly, I think, will help it last through the winter. In terms of the... Uh, I, I, so my philosophy, before I was in Minneapolis, my, my philosophy was that uh, I would... And so I guess this applies for, like, basically every other uh, major North American city, major uh, U.S. city, I suppose. Like, if it's not quite as cold as here, um, is what I'm trying to say. Um, I I didn't I didn't really do much of anything to the bike. I... Um, well, that's not true. I, I did, um, sometimes I would run, like, knobby tires, like mountain bike tires. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, like, I would just not bike on day one when all the snow came down. It was, like, blizzard. Just terrible conditions for biking, but great conditions for riding the bus because nobody else is riding on the bus and nobody's driving. So there's, like, the bus is on time. Uh, so much so that it's, like, waiting every time it gets to the stop, uh, the time points. But, um, so I didn't ride on day one, but then, like, day two, the roads were all plowed. And which I guess is something they do in New England, and so then I could just I could just uh, you know do what I what I do normally. I might have to take the lane a little bit, and the bike lanes were usually full of snow, but I could I could get around that way. Um, and uh, I've very quickly become a convert to studded tires over here. Um, yeah. So I don't know. That's a but I guess I mean you don't have to have studded tires. Like I should say that, but they are they are a, a big big help. And I guess you can make your own too. Cap, the bike you described is kind of what I think of as, like, there are so many older mountain bikes in people's garages that they've mm-hmm. sort of, I mean, either they're, they're people use them still or they've put them away and maybe gotten a different, more modern bike and that sort of 80s and 90s 26-inch mountain or city hybrid is an awesome bike mm-hmm. for people to ride. I I didn't mention when I introduced myself that I work in a shop like a couple of the people at these, this table, and that's what I see coming in most often for people to kind of give it a shot, and really what I see until they upgrade to something maybe more purpose-built, um, mm-hmm. it's what I see most converted, and it seems to work really well. It's what I ride. Um, 
and just yeah, the 26, you're, you can be low to the ground. There's lots of room for fenders um, without gumming up too much, and it's already there, and it's a used bike, so it's mm -hmm. when it gets a little bit crusty from winter, it's not your prized steed. Mm -hmm. um, getting all banged up. What you don't want to ride in the winter is uh, what I rode last winter. Um, <laughs> if you go back on, uh, on the website, you can find... Uh, I had a post uh, touring in the winter and uh, on a Brompton, and... Uh, yeah, you don't want to ride a Brompton in the winter because uh, you slide everywhere and uh, the snow like gets all packed in the hub. And I had to take it apart like every week and mm -hmm. soak the hub, I mean the, the derailleur mm -hmm. and all that the cheap plastic derailleur. Uh, I know Brompton can do better, so there's that. Put <laughs> um, <laughs> that plug in there. Yeah, yeah, the Brompton. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't think Brompton is listening, but uh, if you are, Jeremy, you just said that you don't have to ride with studded tires, and my perspective on studded tires is if you want to be able to ride everywhere all the time, why not get studded tires? Because my first winter, I did not have studded tires, and it was okay, but there were two months where I didn't ride at all, and I could only take the bus because it was so icy. I got to the point where I was carrying my bike on my shoulder for like three blocks so I could get to the trail because we had this ice storm Christmas of like mm. four years ago and it was like there were like little wave formations from cars rocking through the snow during this, this ice storm and it was like creating these slush waves. It was impossible to ride in. But I didn't have studded tires. So now that I ride all the places all the time, I would say, why not get studs? Make it easier on yourself. Yeah, it makes my riding uh, just a lot more confident. Like, when I'm not, you know, uh, super worried about every little bump, I know that my studded tire can hit something and I'll probably roll over it fine. Just, like, helps me relax a little bit and not have to like, have laser eyes 10 yards ahead of me, I can, you know, maybe look around a little bit. Uh, so, people that argue that studded tires make you slower because they're heavier, I don't <laughs> find that to be true because I know that I can ride faster because I'm going to be more stable. And it's interesting, the, the regional differences, you know, it's, it's like something like nobody ever used studded tires in Boston. It's like, now everybody's just like... That's why everybody was talking studded tires. I was like, nah, you don't need studded tires. But, <laughs> uh, but now I have one. It's a used studded tire that I got for $10. At, uh, my favorite my favorite local bike shop across the street. Nice. And, um, yeah, you have, one, you have one too as well, right? I'm oh, sorry, that's a terrible pun. Uh, you have one studded tire on your bike, right? I do. Yeah. And the front I'm one. trying a... Um, a new winter tire by Continental in the back. Um, it's not studded, but it has, like, silica embedded into the tread. And it's fine, but I don't think it's any better than, like, a knobby mountain bike tire would be. So, I don't know. I haven't really bought into that yet. When cool. I, did, I did buy into it, but I'm not a believer. <laughs> 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 so, should we... Um you, I guess I have a bunch of things that I that I wrote down. We should, you know, these are like common questions. But maybe I don't know. What I'm really interested in is hear like some stories of winter biking. I know everybody has like their horror stories of like the worst day. Do we have so, to tell horror stories? Can, you can tell good stories too. Can I tell the story of Valentine's Day three years ago? It was a 
night, much like this one. It was pretty cold, but not anything too crazy or windy, and the snow started falling at, like, 6 p.m., so it had already been dark for, like, three hours, and I texted some of my friends, and I was like, I know you guys don't have dates, like, let's go for a bike ride. <laughs> so we ended up just doing, like, the trails around the lakes, which normally I avoid because they're full of people, but um, the snow was just, like, made this perfect squishy blanket for us. We zoomed around the lake, I remember it was, like, a full moon that night. It was, like, one of the most beautiful bike rides I have ever been on. Yeah, and the lakes are really pretty here. Like, we have the lakes here, you know, covered in snow. It's really nice. Uh, has anybody biked across the lakes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. didn't fall in. No, they're, I mean, once they're frozen there, I, no, I wouldn't advise it to anyone living anywhere near a winter <laughs> lake to mess around with it in the spring or the uh, or the fall. But, but midwinter, and if, you know, if you're extra careful, you could check with your local park board about the lake, and they'll usually have signs if there's soft ice. But um, at least here in Minnesota, you can ride on those lakes by... Just don't ride over a channel or a river, and you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be really fun. Sometimes, the, depending on the conditions... You know, you get that that sort of golden hard pack that uh, we've talked about, and you can just zoom in. It's it's a, like a special treat to be able to cut the curve out of your. That's yeah. <laughs> fun, yeah, because you can just. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorite winter rides uh, was out uh, to Medicine Lake, uh, which is maybe like twelve miles west of the city. And every winter they have um, an art festival that lasts um, like four weekends. And there are, um, it's called the Art Shanty Projects. And so, you know, dozens of artists get together to build these um, similar to like an ice fishing house, but um, they all have their own different themes. Um, And you go out on the weekend and um, kind of do their little activities in each of the shanties. but a group of friends of mine uh, rode out there. So it was one of the longer rides that I've done in the winter. I don't usually like go for 12 mile rides for fun, um, but we rode out to the, to the ice shanties, the art shanties. And then they had um, like a little uh, racetrack around all of the shanties. So you could, everyone who biked there got to, you know, do a little heat lap and they did that every weekend and then the last weekend um all of the people who placed high enough in each of the races got to come back and do like the final the final race uh so there are fun things to do on your bike in the winter so that was one of my favorite bike stories we were talking about this before because you were saying how it's like really important to have fun things to do in the winter because otherwise you just get miserable yep that reminds me <clears throat> of the uh, Minnesota Human Powered Vehicle Association, which is a bunch of um, wonderfully nerdy people that meet up uh, about once a month to talk about projects they're building. It's, it's a lot of um, um, older older white dudes with beards that like to hang out in their basement and weld and brace things and dream up strange contraptions. They build tricycles and recumbents and tandems and all kinds of strange things you never even thought was possible. Um, but in the winter, they stay sane by organizing an annual event on a frozen lake where they prepare a race course to do three different activities and you can enter in one of two divisions there's the 
the rubber-only division where you've got literally nothing but rubber tires touching the ground, then there's traction-aided, um, which a lot of the times means studded tires, but they had to call it such a vague term because people have used saw blades as wheels. People have um, somehow glued <laughs> sandpaper onto tires to create <laughs> textured tires. Um, chains, uh, skis, skates, sleds, anything you can dream up. It's been nice. tried at least a couple times. So it's, <laughs> it's really interesting to see all the bikes and contraptions that show up. Um, I've raced in that a couple of times, uh, usually on a borrowed tricycle from Mark Stonich, who built it, that has a positive traction two-wheel drive in the back. So even though it's rubber tires, it actually, it's, you can't tip over unless you get something really hard sideways. So you can't fall over too easily. And it actually corners pretty good and has fairly good traction because both wheels are driving. Um, but the three events that they do, one is a straight shot, um, flying start, um, timing gate. So you have two sets of timing gates set up a certain distance apart. You get to go as, as much run-up distance as you want across the whole lake. So you can go as fast as you can try to get the shortest time. <clears throat> so that's to test your maximum speed of your contraption. The second one is a double elimination um, drag race. You have to start right behind a line, paired up next to some other vehicle, and they wave a flag or yell go, and you both try to speed towards the finish gate as fast as you can. You do a double elimination round of that. So that kind of tests your acceleration abilities. Your third the third one they do is a winding, meandering course uh, mass start. So there's people going everywhere, and you're trying not to run into people <laughs> and get knocked off the course. But you got to accelerate, you know, go as fast as you can, and still slow down and corner efficiently and maneuver with traffic. So the champion of all those three is tallied. The prizes are usually various forms of smoked fish and other kind of Nordic winter types of treats. Everyone <laughs> drinks a lot of beer, and the champion gets to sign their name on the back of this. Um, kind of gross union suit that's been passed around for years, and you hang on to fill the next year, so that's how they make sure you show back up again. When's that coming up? I don't know. What um, are we building, Carl? We should we should do something. Ski, it be fun. ski skate, ski bike. I want to be in a skate bike chariot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to sound power good. it, but I want to sit in a, <laughs> in a sleigh. Tally-ho. Um, the Minnesota Human Powered Vehicle Association. You can probably find them at Google. But some really fun stuff to check out and good photos. I'm gonna have to look that up. I've, I've in previous years I've uh, I've, I've drooled over the uh, the bike with the what do you call it with the one with the with the wheel on the back and the little ski thing in front. Um, skate bike, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's been a lot of those over the years. Yeah, and then um, I even saw one that had like skis in both places, and it was like you. I forgot how it actually propelled itself, but hmm. it was like um. It's like a downhill thing. You get on. Look, my no brakes. <laughs> like the ultimate fixie right there. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the awesome thing about winter biking is the individual problem solving that everybody gets to do either for fun, like I want my bike to work great on ice in a race, or just the, the sort of mm-hmm. noodling that people get to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Cool, so should we, uh, should we ask some questions? I should, I guess I gotta ask you guys, my expert panel on these questions. Lightning round. Lightning round. Well, yeah, <laughs> it can be. Um, it's like Ten seconds each. Um, so yeah, mo- one of the most popular things I, I get asked is, how do you keep your hands and feet warm? And we started, we sort of covered this, um, but I thought we'd maybe deal delve a little deeper into that. Um, I know for me, like my thumbs freeze all the time. Yeah, I think Lo made a good point earlier about starting dry. Um, so I always dry out my liner mittens when I get someplace. 
so that when I go back out again, I have dry gloves to start with. Because you're going to sweat no matter what you're wearing. Um, and my winter boots also have a wool liner in them, so I take the liner out of the boot and let that dry. I start out with dry socks, right? So always packing extra socks, extra glove liners. Uh, so that's my biggest uh, tip. I like to wear the I like to wear my gloves and, and boots and everything for at least a minute before I, I go out, so I, I can warm and felt up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Some people leave them on the radiator or, or near a heat vent to try to actually artificially warm them so you don't get chilly hands and feet when you put them in. Um, sometimes that can be counterproductive. You can actually end up sweatier just because they were too warm, but your mileage may vary. Um, like I was talking about earlier, I have a really hard time staying as warm as a lot of people do, so I need much thicker and heavier insulation. So your mileage is definitely going to vary. you got to try, try different things and see what works for you. You might need just simple chopper mitts when it's 20 below zero. You might need pokies and fleece line down-filled something like me. Can we talk about feet for a second? Talk about whatever you want. So there's an anatomical pump at the pad of your foot that is activated whenever you put pressure on it. So if you're on the pedals and you're not putting the same amount of downward pressure that you put when you're walking, your body doesn't know, send hot blood to the toes. So often it can be cool to like, okay, I'm at a red light, get off the pedals, like walk back and forth a little bit, you know, jump around a little bit. Um, I really like felt liners in my boots. Those increase the temperature of my boots. Um, it's either felted wool or I have felted Angora liners. Um, <laughs> and the animal fiber is hollow, so it holds air, and that's what's going to keep you warm. You don't want to have a tight boot. You want a cushion of air between your sock and the boot, because that's what's going to insulate you from the cold. You don't want to do steel toes, because that'll be a heat sink. Um, Wool socks, never cotton. And don't be afraid to use chemical warmers or some kind of warming packet in your toes if it's very cold and you have, you know, some kind of issue with cold toes. Just remember that um, those little chemical packets are activated by oxygen. So again, if you don't have enough room in your boot, it's just going to suffocate in there. You might have to pull them out and shake them around a little bit to get them going again if they feel like they're getting a little cold. On the insulator topic, people do also sell, they, I've seen Angora one, uh, rabbit fur versions of this as well, just a, uh, it's not even a liner, it's just a foot pad, which I think for uh, cycling can really help because uh, your feet are not moving enough so that keeping keeping your foot up a little bit more from the very cold, sometimes damp sole um, can really be helpful. And gaiters are a great way to increase the temperature of your boots as well because it just holds the heat in your boot and it keeps the air and slush from jumping inside of your boot. That's kind of a good lead-in to a lot of, to me, I think... With cycling, you're generating a lot of heat. A lot of you're working really hard, so a big part of it. Um, some you may need to insulate a lot. You may need tons of layers, but you also may need to just protect yourself from wind and let your body heat do lots of warming too. Depending on how far your commute is, whether you're just going to be biking really fast, 
steadily on a bike path, you may you may be able to be dressed a lot lighter than if you're going to be up to stopping. If you're going to have to be stopping at uh, light after light after light, sort of cooling down and uh, sitting there. Are we all boots and platforms riders? I think we, we don't all are. clip. None of us clip in. None of us have fancy. I tried that um, several years ago. I loved being clipped in. I used a couple different pedal systems and settled on some that I really liked. And then I was on the ultimate quest to find the holy grail of some kind of a clipless cycling shoe or boot that could actually keep my toes warm in the winter. And as like I said, I have a terrible time with that. I really was not successful. Um, I tried the Lake Winter Cycling Boots. They were really popular a few years ago. They did okay. Um, I even tried putting um, resistive electric heaters in them that have little clips that go on the back of your of your boots. They're I think, designed for downhill skiing to add a little bit of extra heat right under the bottom of your foot, kind of right where the cleat is. And even, like, they barely did okay for me. A lot of people I know use them and love them and think they're fine. Um, now the last season or two, 45 North is making a very similar couple boots that are really intense, super insulated, clipless design for that. And they've got lots of insulation between the metal cleat and the cleat backing plate, which is a giant heat sink that's exposed to the air outside in the bottom of your foot, which a summer shoe or a mountain biking boot is not going to have. So you're going to, if you're trying to do this with clipless shoes and you're using normal summer shoes, you're going to need to try to get some really serious insulation between the bottom of your foot and those metal parts. I like having the flexibility of being able to put my foot down Mm-hmm. very easily uh and even yeah i guess that's the part about clipless pedals that i don't like in the winter is like if you are on ice and you know you want to put your foot down even the motion of like wrenching your heel out can like uh, you know get your balance off a little bit um so i don't want to have to worry about that and that's why i just wear big old snow boots nice keep it simple um, okay, so, um, yeah, we talked about, oh, um, so driver behavior, this is a big one that comes up. Um, how do we, uh, strategies for dealing with, uh, cause you know, we, you know, we're having a ride on bigger streets, taking the lane. Um, I think I see a, a middle finger being held up by somebody in the room. <laughs> that, that was the hands-free double middle fingers. <laughs> is that the best way to get to St. Paul? Nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, we're taking the lane here, we're trying to, you know, we, and, uh, and we're biking slower, and, uh, you know, there's, um, you see sort of, I, at least I see it both ways. I see some drivers that seem to be giving me more room and just sort of like, well, that guy's crazy. Like, okay, I don't I want to stay away from, you know, like I want to give plenty of room, whatever, like he might, you know. And then there's plenty of there's other drivers that are just like, oh, you know, the same the same shit as usual. It's just like, these fuckers in my way, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> horn, whatever. Do we have strategies for dealing with uh, assholes? Avoid is a good first strategy. Just try to... You know, when possible, use a route that's going to keep you away from as many cars as possible. But if you don't encounter them, they can't be mean to you. Uh, but that's not entirely possible the vast majority of the time. Does anyone here experience the grace period? Where the first snow, or when there's like just some really nasty weather, cars are like, oh no, no, you go. You, oh, you poor thing. You're outside. I'm in a heated vehicle. You poor, poor thing. I'm going to pass you with respect very slowly. Usually lasts 24 hours or less. Mm-hmm. Has anyone experienced it? I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah. And this wears off. And then uh, very quickly becomes frustration as it's taking everybody longer. You know, I think you deal with drivers the same way you deal with drivers any other time of the year, which is, you know, personal choice. 
But I think one thing that stands out to me in winter is how I interact, how I share the road. So in the summertime, if I'm flying down Lake Street, I'm taking the lane and I'm not going to move over. It's a two-lane in one direction road. If they want to pass me, they can pass me. In the wintertime, because I'm moving slower, I don't want to hold up traffic. So whenever I have a good opportunity, when I go through light to pull over, I'll signal to the cars that they should pass me. And I'll let, you know, five or six cars go by until there's nobody behind me. And then I'll hop back in the road for a few blocks. When traffic's really slow, I feel like that's helpful. I feel like it also lessens the amount of aggression that I have to encounter. I've been, uh, I'll just throw out this, um, with regard to, uh, to red lights, I have never been a big advocate of waiting at red lights unnecessarily, uh, and as this is controversial, and, uh, possibly, it's possible that 99% of the bike advocates in the world, uh, disagree with me, um, but I, I think this is especially true in the winter when, you know, you're worried about, um, you're worried about ice and everything else, and it's just like, you know, and it's cold, it's like, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be a martyr, you don't have to sit there, like, just go. I'm a fan of get Willie Gittins good. You got an opportunity and you're not going to, if there's, you know, basically if there's no cars around for a few blocks, there's no one to closely witness my crime. I'll go right through a red light 99% of the time. No cop, no stop. (laughs) But if there's, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to be causing people to change their norm or have to, you know, worst case scenario, slam on their brakes or, you know, change their behavior greatly, I'm not going to do it. I'll just wait in line and, Mm -hmm. and go through like normal. And that works really good for me almost all the time. I think I couldn't have said that better. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, yeah, we talked about um, snow and ice um, stories. Um, yeah, uh, uh, other, oh um, yeah, other things that can go wrong. Like we uh, we did we cover everything? I feel like there's got to be other. Always things carry that... snacks. That's my last piece of advice. You need to always carry a nut roll. <laughs> Any particular type of nut roll or? Um, the Pearson. almond ones. Okay. <laughs> the almond one is really good. Yeah. And I always want to have a stopping point in mind. That, uh, I always like to have a place where I can go where I know that, um, like, if I have a long ride, I'll try to figure, like, okay, there's, there's this area with this, like, you know, coffee shop, something that I can go to and, and warm up or if I need to, or just try to kind of follow a bus route. I like to follow bus routes because then... Or close by, because then I can, you know, something Well, those wrong. are usually snow emergency routes, too, which are the first routes to be plowed, so it's probably a good strategy. Thank you guys uh, so much for doing this. This has been great. Yeah, yeah thanks yeah. for having us. Cool. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure everybody else will, so... Thanks. If I get questions, I will pass them along. Yo. Yo. This abdominal. Einstein on the beat. Put my foot to the pedal, slip it in the basket. No helmet, so maybe I'll end up in a casket. Prematurely, yo, knock on oak abdominal. Rocket on spokes, resting a rubber by Continental on a vintage frame from Yeti made a metal mid 80s factory pick with a white trim. Not following, I know cycling, my man. Legs like Tyson's 31 years old, still don't have my driver's license for real. So the automobile and big ups to all those people pushing those two wheels. Before I had this mic career, I was on the streets hustling as a bike courier. Now I'm catching transatlantic flights, but when the tour is done, it's back on the bike. Climbing a sense, so when I'm rhyming my breath, never ending like as if I had a mind for a chest. 
Street a beat like the Tour de France. Versus earning me the yellow jersey like Lance. Uncontested champ with consecutive wins. Clockwise wheel motion like a record that spins all day in the saddle till my touch hurts. Abs certified pedal I'm push. I'm a pedal pusher, push pedals like crazy. For me to be, I'm a pedal pusher, push pedals all day, B. For me to be, I'm a pedal pusher, push pedals like Daisy. For me to be, I'm a pedal pusher. I push pedals and I take my dust, but it's all been set. A little cross country on a chain, get a fresh rag right down the frame, ready to go. Tie my army pants at the knees. I already have enough pants covered in crease. Slip on the disc, man. Eyes so sharp, they do the listening while supplying vision at the same time. Waste no time to slide my ride into a break in the line of traffic. Don't ask me why, man. For some reason, I need a matchstick in between my lips to help me concentrate till I hit that zone where there's no need to contemplate. Every movement, muscle memory, computing conclusions quicker than the thinking mind. Strictly relying on instincts to wind through this river of crime. Exhaust pipes, potholes, pigeons, street contracts you could slip in. Pedestrians, potential door prizes, pretty girls to divert your eyes at that crucial juncture. And of course, the constant possibility of a puncture, pollution to make your lungs strain. All the same, the country lane. Not the same rush as biking in rush hour. Hit the floor and said, I want to touch flowers. That's for old people on bike tours. I'm in the city flying over sewers. Not the fastest on a straightaway, but in downtown traffic, I'll lay you the way straight up, man. So don't test my metal. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I know I did, and you can find out more about the show and all the links and things we talked about at criticaltransit.com. Don't forget the uh, Human Powered Vehicle Association, which I'm looking forward to checking out, and maybe go check out some ice shanties um, and, uh, and ice biking in general. So this is going uh, to be a lot of good stuff there, so check that out. And uh, if, you, uh, if you may uh, want to check out the previous episode that I did uh, speaking to Lowe about uh, biking in general and uh, about grease rag, uh, you can check out episode 33, criticaltransit.com slash 33. And support the show by telling all your friends, going leaving good reviews, and donating if you are able to. I feel like I've been here before. So yeah, there's soup and cider. How long into it did I arrive? Like 20 minutes. Yeah, it was so bad. I meant to tell you, and then like I got distracted. <laughs> this thing is crazy. This is a crazy microphone that I have here. Yeah. Hello? It looks like, I don't know, it looks like... From back here, it looks like an old school, like, microphone. I feel like I'm on a submarine (laughs) or something. Yeah. Uh, Now I can see my reflection and it's really creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, now that you mention it, yeah. It's called the snowball. It's perfect. seasonally appropriate. I totally think that you should link to, like, every grease rag winter article. I agree.